This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Early this week on the 13th of June, the federal government formally responded to the final report of the Quality of Advice Review, which was finalised in December 2022 and released publicly in February of this year. Hello, I'm Brian Ashenden, and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team a group of qualified individuals who are able to answer any technical advice strategy queries you may have for your clients. In today's podcast, we will look at the government's response and what this means for advisors and the way advice may be delivered into the future. Now, in saying that, it is important to note that the current response from the government is largely limited to noting which of the 22 recommendations it will be looking to implement, with some modifications to the recommendations themselves. In this regard, The government has given its support, either in full, in part or in principle, to 14 of the 22 recommendations. It hasn't, however, at this stage, ruled out any of the eight remaining recommendations, instead noting that these are items for future consideration or that may be influenced as the first 14 are worked through. Whilst the government has announced those items it proposes to change, reform will take time and will be subject to further consultation. Bills to implement the changes are not expected to be introduced into Parliament until the second half of 2023 or into 2024. And passage of these bills into formal legislation may then take some time, and perhaps that is why there's no indication at this point of any formal start dates for the new measures. Now, the response from the government has been broken down into three sections. First, reforms to remove regulatory red tape that add to the cost of advice but do not provide any additional consumer protection. Second, reforms to expand access to retirement income advice. And third, reforms to explore new channels for the provision of personal advice. Now, if we consider each of these sections in turn, let's start with the area of removing regulatory red tape that adds to the cost of advice, but do not provide additional consumer protection. One of the recommendations in this space the government has agreed to is the removal of the safe harbour steps under the best interest duty in the Corporations Act. Now, this change aligns with observations from Commissioner Hain during the Financial Services Royal Commission, where he was concerned that the safe harbour steps had become a ticker box approach to compliance. And he recommended that post the quality of advice review, unless there were good reasons to retain it, the safe harbour steps should be removed. Now, removal of these safe harbour provisions will actually help to ensure that advice is truly in the client's best interests, as currently required under Section 961B, Subsection 1 of the Corporations Act. Now, under existing legislation, meeting the safe harbour steps contained in Section 961B, Subsection 2, merely has the effect of discharging the advisor's obligations under Section 961B, 1 but it doesn't actually mean the advice is in the client's best interest. Now, this new approach would also provide a greater alignment with a similar best interest requirement under Standard 5 of the Code of Ethics, which does not have a safe harbour steps defence. What the government has not yet provided final recommendations on are the quality of advice review recommendations for the removal of the existing best interest duty in Section 961B, Subsection 1, its replacement with a good advice duty, and the introduction of a new best interest requirement that is closely aligned to the common law fiduciary obligation on advisors and other professionals to prioritise the needs of the client over their own. 
Now, this recommendation for a legislated fiduciary obligation aligns to the original recommendation back in 2009 from the Ripoll Report, which morphed into the current best interest duty as part of the future of financial advice reforms. The concern many advisors have indicated about this potential change is not the change itself, but rather the proposal that it would only apply to advice from a relevant provider, not advice provided by other entities, such as superannuation trustees. And these considerations are actually part of the government's proposed third phase of consultation. In what would be welcome news for many, if not all advisors, the government has agreed that the annual fee renewal and consent obligations should be simplified. This includes the use of a single standardised form to obtain these consents and removal of the fee disclosure statements. Getting this settled may take a little time to ensure that the standardised forms are appropriate to their needs and, importantly, can be implemented as a solution with product providers. But the changes certainly will be widely welcomed. Now, this is perhaps an important step on the journey to truly recognise financial planning as a profession. With the Code of Ethics placing a range of ethical obligations on advisors, including that fees charged are fair, reasonable and value for money, we should see more reliance allowed by third parties on information a financial advisor collects from their client, such as the annual consent to ongoing fee deductions. It is important to remember, though, that while this is an announced change, that is expected to come in the future. Until the change has actually been made and a start date announced, your obligations to provide fee disclosure statements and obtain annual consent remain. Now, thirdly, the government wants to start work on replacing the existing statement of advice with something that is more fit for purpose. This recommendation is a slight variation from that in the quality of advice review itself, in that it indicates that there will still be a requirement to provide something, rather than only on request, But it is an important and welcome move given the complexity of these documents and the cost and time involved in their production. But meaningful reform in this area will require agreement from various parties, including advisors, licensees, consumer groups, regulators and professional indemnity providers, and agreement earlier in the development process. Otherwise, we run the risk of future legislative intervention that brings us back to where we are today with SOAs that don't benefit the client in any real or meaningful way. The second area of reform is focused on expanding access to retirement income advice, which at least at this stage is primarily focused on expanding and enabling the ability of super funds to provide advice to their members. And we know from talking with advisors all over Australia that there are differing views with some seeing the ability of super funds to offer intrafund advice as taking away from their offers, whilst others are supportive, as these members are often not clients seeking broader advice and perhaps therefore uneconomical to service. Um, Or perhaps it will provide an entry point for those seeking advice in the future, with an expansion to an advisor-led model as their needs expands and as the member actually sees the value in advice. In acknowledging the validity of these contrasting views, it is also important to remember that the focus also has to be on the end client, in this case the member of a super fund. At various times, for various reasons, a client who may previously have been advised might become unadvised. This is not necessarily because they, the member no longer value or no longer want advice, but perhaps their advisor is no longer able to service them due to retirement or because they believe they are no longer able to provide a service at a reasonable cost. 
Now, these kites still deserve to have access to advice. And an intrafund advice type model, whether offered by a super fund or other provider, might just help to fill a necessary gap for a period of time. In his speech when announcing the government's response, the minister alluded to the upcoming consultation in this area, focusing on some important aspects to this advice model, such as how and what can be advised on, or in other words, how far can you go and will it be significantly broader than intrafund advice as we know it today, and also what education requirements should apply to the people who are providing the advice under this model. It is also worth noting that separate to the response on the quality of advice review, the government also introduced a bill to Parliament this week to give effect to the experience pathway option for existing relevant providers. This area of reform also contained the government's endorsement for clarification on the ability for advisors to be able to charge an advice fee to a client's super account and for superannuation trustees to be able to pay these amounts to advisors where the client has consented without being concerned it may be in breach of their sole purpose test and best financial interest requirements. Now, similar to my earlier comments on annual consent, it would be significant and valuable reform if this was accompanied by the ability for super funds to be able to rely on the relevant consents provided by advisors on behalf of their clients, rather than trying to second guess whether these fees are appropriate. As mentioned before, advisors have requirements under the Code of Ethics, particularly under Standard 7, to ensure that their fees are fair, reasonable and value for money. If the fees were deemed inappropriate, this should be dealt with at the advisor level through existing regulatory processes, rather than requiring super trustees to intervene in an area that generally would not fall within their expertise for judgment. The final area for reform were the recommendations related to exploring new channels for the provision of personal advice. This is essentially the list of other reforms for consideration down the track, which includes the question of whether the definition of personal advice should be expanded, and if it was, who would fall within its scope. It is also worth noting that the government has stated this grouping includes finalising details on the design of the replacement statement of advice, and also the expansion of the ability for consumers to access affordable retirement income advice, both of which were mentioned in the other groupings of reforms. This truly does show the interrelatedness of the reforms and perhaps illustrates why it may still take some time for them to be implemented in full. As an example, work to enable an expanded intrafund advice model in a cost-effective manner can really only work with a redesigned advice document. And any redesigned advice document should be made available across the spectrum of advice providers at the same time, not just to intrafund advice providers. Now, given all this, the question is obviously, where to now? What's next? Indications are that details on the next stage of consultations may be released within the next few weeks. We need to continue the momentum to ensure meaningful and collaborative discussion occurs, but it also needs to be measured to ensure changes are real, enduring, and don't need relitigating. At this stage, though, it is positive to see the government's commitment to real reform as the Quality of Advice Review's final report has recommended. Now remember, if you have any strategy-related questions for your clients, you can call the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or send us an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. And join us for our fortnightly BT Academy webinars where we discuss all things technical and regulatory. 
question is scheduled for midday Australian Eastern Time on Wednesday the 21st of June, when Tim Howard from our BT Technical Services team will be presenting on personal injury and superannuation. In the unfortunate event your client suffers a personal injury resulting in compensation, a structured settlement or simply insurance through their fund, opportunities exist to use superannuation to manage the proceeds in an effective way. Join Tim and some of our distribution team as we discuss the key considerations around these payments, including proceeds, contributions, caps, conditions of release, and the ways to effectively implement solutions for your clients. To register for that session, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. You can also watch our previous webinars on demand and all sessions are accredited for CPD points. Now, thanks for joining me today, and until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory, and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations, or needs.